You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. What's that haircut you you got going on right now? You're sporting a mohawk? Mate, it's like COVID nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) You get bored in these times, huh? (laughs) Look look at that thing. Do you see that? He's got a racing stripe on the top of his Yes, he does. With the beard and the hair, he's something out of a post-apocalyptic movie. Oh, isn't that the times that we live in, Bracken? <laughs> it is, isn't it? So I entertain my two-year-old, so. <laughs> You're entertaining us, and we're, we act about two, so I guess it's working. Oh, awesome. Well, I really appreciate being on here, guys, so uh, thank you. Yeah, how are how are you feeling, man? Are you still beat to crap or are you feeling good? It's weird. I, I actually feel really good, but I know uh I know that my body is beat to crap. <laughs> so so I'm uh I'm I'm definitely taking it easy and resting and um yeah, that, that's a, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> In case someone on this planet doesn't know what you just completed, explain to the audience what you just went through. Uh yeah, so there's um Basically, the uh, you can call it a calendar club challenge, Hammond challenge, whatever you want to want to call it. But um, it was running the months of um, the date in miles. So um, on the the days of April, um, I would run one mile on the first of April, two on the second, three on the third, four on the fourth, etc. You get the idea. You know, all the way through. Um, uh, collecting, collecting the miles up as it, as it were. So, um, the first week, as you can imagine, is, um, a little bit boring. And the last week is anything but. (laughs) (laughs) So running 30, 30 on the, um, the 30th of April and that, um, uh, that totals, uh, 465 miles. Um, with, uh, the majority of that being in the last two weeks. (laughs) Where did this idea come from, Steve? Where, <laughs> what's going on in your crazy brain over there? Why did you do this? I have no idea. And uh, I, it's, it's funny because I kind of thought it up and I was like, brilliant. This is what I'm going to do. I need a challenge. And we'll go on to that in a minute of like the reasons why I did it. But um, I, I kind of half came up with my head. And then after about mile, uh, sorry, um, day three or four, um, somebody tagged me in a calendar club challenge never heard of it before and i was just like oh somebody else has done this before brilliant so i kind of hashtagged a bit um so you know looked up on instagram and realized that a few other people had done it and how they done it and i was just like oh right okay so uh here we go um and uh yeah that that's kind of the the concept plus i think the reason well one of the reasons why i did it is like there is there is no other time in my schedule that I could possibly do anything like this. Um, you know, I don't have a nine to five job. It's not a kind of um, something that you can just kind of do on a whim, but uh, have it, you know, b- being currently, you know, furloughed from, from Spartan and um, 
you know, having a bit of time, um, talked to my wife about it and she was just like, yes, you absolutely need, need something like this to get your teeth into. <laughs> so she, she is fully supportive of this. Uh, she was actually, and she was a critical part of the reason why, um, <laughs> why I completed it, um, for sure. Uh, the fact that she fed me like 10,000 calories uh, in the in those last two weeks a day, which was pretty, pretty awesome. So yeah, she's, uh, she was, a, she was a, a critical part. Now I'm assuming the last week and a half was really bad, but at what point did it get real? At what point did it stop being like this fun, exciting challenge? And did it start to weigh on you and think, eh, maybe this was not the greatest choice? So um, really early on, actually, um, so around, uh, I have to look back at my Strava, but um, there was a specific point in time where I had realized I'd gone off way too fast. And I was hammering, you know, you know, day six, day seven, I was going out there and just hammering it like normal. And uh, I remember a specific conversation, you know, because I was asking a few of the pros, um, you know, and a, a, a few other athletes, um some advice and that kind of stuff and there was a few people very supportive a few people thought i was crazy but uh um very good friend of mine chris brown he he basically said right <laughs> it's a completion you have to complete it it's nothing to do about time just get the miles in and do it however you can but slow it right down and i remember i think it was day 12 i went out for a run i was like all right this is this is real. This is what I got to do to complete this. And I went out and ran a, you know, a 12 minute pace, um, 12 minute mile pace, um, you know, 12 miles and just plobbed around. And I was like, all right, my body was already feeling sore. I was running a lot on road because we had huge snowstorms. You couldn't really uh, run on, run on the trails at all. Um, so a lot of it was on road to start off with, and I'm not a road runner. I've never really done any miles on the road. It's all on trail. So my body was in a bit of a shock, but very quickly realized that slow miles are, you know, are the key, um, for body recovery. And, um, if I'm going to complete this thing, was that hard for you? Because I feel like all we think about is speed and this high end effort is that those are the glory workouts and the way to run. I, I would have a really hard time with that. Like, did that just change the way you look at running or how did that feel? Um, so, so think of it like this. It was, I wasn't out there to run. I was out there to do a job. And this is going back to the, the, the idea of the reason why I was doing it in the first place. The reason why I'm doing it in the first place is, um, you know, I'm a very, very active person. I need a goal. I need, I need a purpose to get up to. And those first, those first couple of weeks of, you know, the whole COVID lockdown, I was very frustrated because I didn't really have a purpose. And, you know, with, within my job at Spartan, I'm, I'm very, very active. I do a lot of, you know, get a lot of miles on my legs. I, you know, I'm, I'm very, very involved with that. And it's, it's a lot of hard work. Um, although, being at home, being a full-time dad, I still needed to do something for myself. And I'm kind of, I, I can get very, very regimented and get very, very um, like focused on something. And, and, and that's what was missing. So um, it ended up being a task in hand, a job. And that, that, that is part of the reason what, what, what got me through because it was very, oh, I got up at 4.30. I go and do my run. I come back and I look after my wee boy Henry, 
and that is literally every morning but you know we'll talk about the last couple of weeks in a bit but the, it, it became very much i had to get back at this time or i had to get up at this time and i loved it i absolutely craved i was missing that and um yeah and so april april actually went very quick for me now is this was this a lucrative job for you did you make a lot of money at this job oh so it was, it was fantastic okay you know me yeah? you know me i i <laughs> I, 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 I don't do anything for the money <laughs> <laughs> I figured it was about zero dollars per hour. You're, you're Absolutely, many hours. Yep. <laughs> now, before we get into the actual nuts and bolts of this thing, early on, I saw a lot of people on social media saying, "This is genius. I love it. I'm with you. I'm doing it." Of all the people you heard from to start, did anyone finish it with you? They did, um, and it is it is fantastic. There are some like amazing stories that i'm kind of sifting through at the moment i want to share a few as well at some point online but um it's uh it's quite incredible there was um there was a ton of people who um who wanted something and i but you know because it's a huge undertaking i didn't really want to force them into committing for the whole you know for the whole lot and um there's a lot of people who are just like yeah i'm gonna do five days, I'm going to do 10 days, I'm going to try and do till 15. Um, you know, and then some I'm going to do on a bike. And you know, some some did, um, some did every other day, some did it in kilometers. And it was actually there was probably about 20 people that went all the way through, whether they did it on a bike, or whether they did it in kilometers, it was the whole point of, you know, keeping themselves occupied and doing something which is going to challenge them in itself. For me, it was, you know, the big challenge was to do it solely running and, you know, to make sure I, you know, try and run every, yeah, every, every part of it and, um, you know, as much as my body um, can hold up. But I didn't want to force that on anyone else to, you know, um, because as, as you guys are well aware, there's a huge chance of uh, racking up those number of miles and getting uh, long-term injuries. So I was very careful not to, you know, not to force it on anybody. But there was there was a few people who I kept close messaging with who were doing it with me, and uh, that that was that was pretty awesome. People I didn't really know as well. <laughs> oh, that that is awesome. So how many how many people did it all running? Was there still a handful? I think there was a handful. I think there was about five 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 or six of us. Yeah, I mean um that uh, from what i can tell from tags and that kind of stuff yeah which is pretty pretty incredible some very good some very very good runners there's a friend of mine mike mike sinceri who lives in tahoe he he did he did the full lot and uh did a stupid amount of climbing with it as well but he's a professional north face runner and um yeah he he he, he did that um did it in a very quick time as well but um yeah there's a few other people there's a few other open spartan racers who are who were keyed in to do it and um yeah which was uh, pretty pretty incredible we're following their strava as well let's well, see i uh i did a 20 mile long run this weekend and i i just thought about how my body had felt afterwards granted i ran a little harder on it but thinking of having to go then do 21 the next day and then 22 <laughs> the next day i can't i can't imagine wrapping my head around that so i do get the slowing it down thing although i feel like even if i were to walk every single day of april okay I still would probably have something that would start to bother me, like a foot or a heel or a toe or a knee. 
Um, what what popped up for you, and how'd you deal with it? Um, yeah, so so I'm, I'm going to quickly go back to your 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 um, uh, your comment on uh, walking or running. Now, um, it's a. I mean, we can talk about this in a in a minute, but uh, it was a really really interesting thing of like how slow is too slow and how fast is too fast because um, I had to work out the perfect balance and um, you know like if I was out there walking and I was out there on my 20 mile run for, you know, um, 10 hours, that is just, you know, not going to work for my body because it's time on feet. But if I was going to go out and try and do the 20 mile run in, you know, two and a half hours, I was going to trash myself because I'm going too fast. So finding that magic, uh, point was, was a really, it was a really good thing. Um, so, niggle wise i think quite early on running on road for the first time running a bit too fast i could feel my it band really tight i've had it band issues before and i've had plantar fasciitis issues before uh going on to super comfy shoes for hoka and i i was expecting these these you know things to flare up um plantar fasciitis never even never even reared at all which was fantastic so um it band yeah it kind of got tight um i got some really good stretches from lindsey webster who basically sent me this video at like about day 10 uh of like right this is what you need to do because i knew it was going to be a problem and i was hoping that it wasn't going to you know, become a huge problem when I was getting into the big days. And literally that disappeared after day 15. And I think because I slowed everything down. Um, and then the last two days, uh, I, I was getting, I was getting some serious niggles. <laughs> Anything that is worrisome long-term? Uh, not, um, I don't think so. Um, this is why I'm resting really well right now. Um, I, I got some stuff on uh, just above my knee on um, on sort of uh, the inside, but that went away uh, pretty pretty quickly um, uh, around day 27, 28. That kind of went away. It was almost like a new little niggle each day, and um, and then the the very very last day, I got a I got a slight pain on the front of my leg. Uh, but that has now gone, but um, I haven't run on it since. And I'm going to, uh, again, some great advice from Chris Brown, who said, just, you know, don't do anything. Rest your body. Rest, 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 rest. So I'm going to rest all the way through. Although I feel like running today, I won't. I'm going to rest for a good couple of weeks, two and a half, three weeks before I even run again. And uh, just let my body heal because there might be something underlaying there because I put so much miles, so you know, so fast um, on on you know on my body. Um, and and so recovery is key, and I'm keeping very sensible in that. And um, you know, touch wood. I mean, right now my body feels great, and I feel as though I could go, go and run the Tahoe 200. <laughs> that, that's how my body feels right now. But uh, <laughs> um, that that definitely is on the bucket list. You know, I'm using you as a little bit of inspiration right now and also sort of as an alibi, Steve, and you don't even know it. So Great. so I'm, I'm, I, I haven't run very far in my life. In fact, my longest run, I've done a number of 20 milers. I haven't gone much further than that. Um, but now is kind of the time to do these things that excite you or time to like, I don't know, learn your body. And so my 37th birthday is coming up in 
a week and a half. And I've started to tell people that I'm going to go run 37 miles on my 37th birthday. Right. Well, they all tell me I'm an idiot and they're telling me you're stupid and you're going to get hurt and all this. And then I say, Steve Hammond basically did that like 10 days in a row. I think I can do it one day. So what do you tell those people that are telling me not to do it, Steve? Um, (laughs) Well, (laughs) you need to do what you need to do, but you got to remember that, um, you know, you have to adapt, you know, your, your body is very, very strong but um, you have to adapt a little bit. And what I realized, my adaptation was going really, really slow. And it was about not not how fast I could run it, but um, if I could actually complete that challenge. And um, yeah, I think think nice and slow is uh, absolutely the key. Um, So if you're gonna go and do it, I think it's great. Take a couple of beers with you, eat some pizza, go run it go and enjoy it, get some people to run some different segments with you and go and run 37 miles. I think that's freaking awesome. I'll do it with you. Uh, oh, you're not going to be ready to run yet, according to- Oh, it's uh, a couple of weeks time. Yeah, come on. yeah. Uh, something you just brought up uh, is, I know Mark Batras had had won the ultra virus race and he had messaged me and said that he drank five IPAs <laughs> throughout the middle of his 12 hour ultra virus. <laughs> Good and, lad. And Mark Batras, Mark Batras credits, credits that he did so well to the fact he was drinking like an 8% alcohol beer every two hours. Now, is there some merit to that, Steve? You just told me to bring some beers with me. I love beer. I love beers and drinking. I think it's, uh, sorry, beers and running. Drinking and running. Um, that's right. It's too early to drink just yet. Maybe that's why I'm not talking straight. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I No, I think it's a great thing. If you t- if you talk to a lot of ultra runners, they, uh, they, they, they drink a lot. If you talk to a, you know, a lot of sort of, track races and you know they they wouldn't even touch the stuff um so uh (laughs) i i can't go into the science of why ipas (laughs) did uh work so well for mark buttress but uh i know that they work work for me as well um in in longer races so you have actually taken beer on board during a competition uh i have actually (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um, explain that <laughs> um i think it was 2015 or 2016 there was the ultra beast at tahoe um and uh some colleagues of mine in fact in fact actually the uh, uh the festival director and and one of the race directors put a um um put a guinness in my drop box halfway through and there is a video of me coming in halfway through um at the drop box finding the beer and um necking the uh the the whole guinness and uh carrying on again (laughs) no stomach distress no gi issues nothing nothing absolutely nothing (laughs) but i don't recommend it (laughs) but it works for me (laughs) you'll see sometimes i know in like ultras People that I know it's like a tradition for some people to take like a shot of fireball halfway through, like after a first lap. And what I understand is that because it's sort of like a, a nervous system suppressant, that it, it can dull the the sharpness of the pain sometimes. And like if your feet are hurting or you just have those aches, some people say that a little bit of alcohol can sort of numb out those annoyances <laughs> is what I've is what I've been told to justify. Now I don't I don't have any knowledge of this because I've never done it, but that's what I've heard. Well I think over a long period of time I'm surprised that Mark didn't dehydrate himself with the amount of alcohol that he was uh he was putting in. But uh 
I, th I think that's quite, that's quite impressive. Um, I, rem I remember there's one one other race that I did, and a bit of a funny story. But they they have this very famous ski race uh, from Tahoe City to Truckee called the uh, the Great Ski Race. It's a cross country ski race. Now I I am not a cross country skier at all, but uh, a few friends of mine um, were doing the race. I decided to do it. Um, never really. I'm, I'm a huge skier in terms of um, you know downhill and telemark and that kind of stuff, but don't really do a, a huge amount of cross country skiing. But um, yeah, I've got myself a skate, uh, a pair of skating skis, and um, dressed up in my full regalia of kilt and you know the full Scottish getup, and uh, carried a nice big um, hip flask with me full of whiskey. Um, and made the 30 kilometers on cross country skis. Um, and they had these aid stations at the last, um, sort of the last three miles full of alcohol. And um, it was brilliant. I just kind of did shots left, right, and center, finished the race, and um, don't remember that much about it. <laughs> Sounds miserable. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, that, yeah, that, that sounds rough. That sounds like a rough way to end a race, but. Hey, if you can do it, more power to you. Yeah, I think I think the roughness was uh, the the actual skiing. I think the alcohol uh, s smoothed it out. I think I did a lot better than I actually did <laughs> because of the alcohol. You know, Bracken, you mentioned something once. Uh, we can move on from alcohol in a second, but Bracken, you uh, you mentioned that you would get you would get drunk at house parties in college, and then you would bring a set of running clothes and run home, right? Mm -hmm. And now I'm one, and you said you would feel bulletproof on these like drunk run runs home, right? Yeah. But what I wonder is, do you just feel bulletproof because you're so oblivious to how fast you're actually going, or are you actually running fast? Because my guess is like <laughs> it truly affects top level performance. If I had to <laughs> guess, <laughs> I think I was running like 520 pace, and I bet if if GPSs were around at the time, I would have been like 520 for 30 seconds, eight minutes for a minute, and then 520 for 30. Like I, I, I probably wasn't running even, and I wasn't running nearly as fast as I thought I was. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's what I think would happen. I think I'd think I'd be moving well and doing great, and then I'd look down at my watch and be like, "Shit, not so good." Well, Kirk, maybe it's time to time trial. <laughs> I'll be well up for it. I was going to challenge uh, um, Nicole Miracle for a uh, for a, a. I think it was a wine mile. A wine mile. Yep. <laughs> I like my wine. She liked her wine. It was when it was when her and Erin were staying here um, in Tahoe for a bit, and um, yeah, I, I was I was going to challenge her for a race. I thought that'd be awesome. Do you have the foot speed to run with her? Um. Uh, I I can do yeah, nice. That I I'd I'd watch that. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. You know what? That's actually a good segue, Steve, into this thing you just did because I don't think I think a lot of people look at you as that you're the Spartan guy and you're the trail master and you're the guy behind the the courses, but people don't realize what a stud athlete you are. I don't feel like you get the credit you deserve there. <laughs> um, and so I'm wondering, like, was this was this month of of runs just a drop in the bucket for you, like? You already knew you could do this and you just wanted something to do or were you trying to prove to yourself that you could do something like this? Um, I, I think I've always wanted to do stuff like this. I think for my whole career um, of, you know, outdoor sports, that's kind of my background. Um, I really, I really wanted something 
um you know to really challenge me and yeah i've i've, I've never been like uh i've been okay i used to do cross country at school and used to do a bunch of that kind of stuff but um uh i never really had the chance to do you know a month I've, i saw these people running across america and that kind of stuff and i wish that i could do that but uh, every run that i did was from my house um sometimes it was around the block sometimes it was out into the woods um but yeah it really was a um uh, something I wanted to achieve and something that I I needed to give myself almost an unattainable goal. And uh, I think I think that's, you know, the, the, um, uh, I mean, it obviously was attainable and it was good, but I didn't know if I was going to be able to complete it or not. Do you, having done this, do you think that you found an idea of where your upper limit is or is it kind of like, no, all right, I did that. What is the, what's the next thing that I can find? <laughs> I think that's the golden thing because I uh, absolutely I think um, I think there is I think there is more and uh, you know I was following different people on terms of um, you know of what uh, what other people were doing um, there was somebody who did a hundred marathons in a hundred days and you know there's other people that did you know fifty miles for fifty days and all this kind of ridiculous stuff but um, you know this was a challenge that. Um, you know, as a kind of a non, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional athlete. I'm, I'm just a, you know, just a kind of a normal, regular person to kind of do. Um, I think I can set myself a little higher and, 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 and try something else. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th I think, <laughs> I think I do want to do something a little bit bigger, a little bit more grander. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe with a lot more mountain mountains involved rather than road running. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did surprise myself though, Bracken. I was like, oh, okay, I, I can do this because I didn't, I didn't actually know. So let, let's say that gun to your head, you wake up on day 31. Could you have completed that day? Absolutely. Yeah. So how long, how long could you have done it until you eventually couldn't? Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's a very good question okay so all right i'm gonna I, i'm gonna kind of like bounce this story about because um i know that you guys like to you know look at the science behind a few things and a little bit of the psychology behind it as well so um and i think this is this is quite important uh i woke up on day 31 you know um you know first of may and i was like i was like all right could i run this if it was if it was to be I was like, yep, absolutely. It, you know, if I had to run it, I would, I would actually run it. The next day I woke up and all of a sudden it was like my body stopped. I was a hot, hot, hot mess. Couldn't even really walk down the stairs. My legs swelled up. Um, you know, like all of a sudden I was just like, um, the, the following day after that, I think my body started to recover. I was in like, uh, you know, and I wasn't really going to talk about this, but as you brought it up, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I was in horrendous mood. Um, I wasn't very good company for, for my, uh, for my wife and, um, you know, for, for my wee kiddo, but, uh, and I'm, I'm used, you know, 99% of the time I could quite happily say I'm usually quite in a good mood, but, um, yeah, I was in a horrific mood. I basically just nosedive big time and my body just like stopped and I didn't even want to walk to the beach, didn't want to eat any food, didn't want to do anything. And that I, I didn't know if that was just because I've been on such a great 
um, you're basically just very regimented, getting up at a certain time, just doing it, and then it, all of a sudden it just stopped. But my uh, but my body stopped also. Well, you know, there's there's something actually that you're you're talking about here, and it's very real. And it's when you work towards a big goal or a big event, the the higher the high, the lower the come down happens afterward. And that's a tough thing for athletes to deal with after they train hard for something or focus on something and then it's gone or it's passed that that fall mentally and physically afterwards can be kind of brutal to deal with. Is that kind of what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, hundred percent. And, um, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't really factor in for that. Like I, I kind of, I, I set my brain I, or set my head really well for, um, for success for the whole for the whole thing, I knew that the last mileage was going to be hard. I knew that last week was going to be hard. I knew the last day, you know, the last couple of days were going to be hard. And I just kind of told myself that, yeah, it's going to be no problem. We'll just get up and just do it, you know. Um, and I'd I'd convinced myself that I was going to do this challenge. What I didn't factor in is how I would feel afterwards. And going through these last couple of days was pretty, pretty hard, actually, like really, really hard. And um, I'm just coming back out of it now going, all right, what's what's my purpose? What am I doing now? And, um, you know, I'm um, doing a bit of work for Spartan and, you know, getting back on that kind of stuff. But it, it was a bit of a, um, yeah, it's been, been a bit, bit of a kick in the teeth for me really of like all right well i achieved it that's great now my body's shut down and i don't really know but going back to your question bracken could <laughs> um if it hadn't have ended would i still be just continuing on and how long would that have lasted i, I don't know it's a really interesting concept to me because throughout my athletic career and watching other people's you see this over and over where the body just goes into like trauma mode where like it just field dresses you until the until the trauma's over and then it takes you to the ER. Where, like yeah. day in, day out, it gets the routine. Like, all right, I have 12 hours to repair this guy. Let's just do what we can, then we'll get back to it. Do what we can, get back to it. And then you had your day off and your body was like, is this real? And on day two, it was like, okay, now we start real healing right. and you're out of commission. But yeah. until that point, it was willing to do the bare minimum of regeneration each night to get you back on your feet. And it was that, and I quickly realized that the longer I would give that time, so uh, I started splitting my runs up, thinking it was going to be a good idea to say on day 26, I'll do a 20-mile run, then I'll do a six-mile run. It was horrific. That six-mile run was like the worst six-mile run ever because my body hadn't recovered. I was fully stiff. I had to walk some of it. It was horrendous. But if I had carried on running, so I realized, you know, running 25 in a one running 27 in a one 28 in a one that that was the key absolute key because then your body would have say if i finished at nine o'clock in the morning i would have all of that time to recover till the next morning when i woke up and the more regimented that you make it or the you know um uh the continuity of it i think your body realizes when it needs to um mend itself by and so therefore when i woke up in the morning and went down my body knew that it was time to run it was it was the most bizarre thing i've never even experienced anything like this in my life and didn't realize that my body could recover so quickly kirk have you ever had it or steve in a race where you cross the finish line and your body just about shuts down like you start blacking out or or anything like that 
I've had it just once, and I think it had to do more with hypothermia okay. than anything. So I don't know if I've had it outside of that. But it's the same kind of concept. I've had it probably five or six times where the moment I stop moving, my body can't handle life anymore. And you start to black out. Like I have to sit down. If I get up, I start to black out again. And But looking back, yeah, I could have done another quarter mile before that yeah. or another half mile or another mile maybe, or maybe even an hour. I'm not sure. But the moment your body was done, it now had permission to shut down. And and Steve, <laughs> it, it's it's hard to think of on such a big scale as yours, but could you have done 39 and 40 back to back? Maybe. But two <laughs> days afterwards of doing 30, you couldn't move. It's it's so bizarre the way our bodies will adapt to the circumstance that we're currently in. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. I think the um, closest I could... So I've never had that in a race, um, but, um, but I have had it in... Uh, so I... Um, I come from a big rock climbing background and a big uh, ex mountaineering background. So I did a lot of like you know uh, north faces in the in the Alps and um, big expeditions lasting ten days, you know fourteen, fifteen days, especially in the rafting world too. Um, but I have come across that where you know you do everything in your power, and then after this, you know after it's over, after you've reached a you know after you've gone up the mountain and back down and you've spent seven seven days on there um you know with no sleep um you you've come back and um you know your your body starts to repair itself and all of a sudden you have to go into shutdown mode and uh um i kind of forgot about that um uh, this kind of like shutdown period because what you know what i achieved or what i did is like a mini expedition you know it's just going out you do your job you come back you know, rest, eat, boom, do it again. And, um, yeah, I, I think I, um, I kind of forgot that aspect of the, the recovery time, um, of exactly what time I'm in right now. So, uh, um, yeah, I'm just giving my body a bit of time to repair and, um, I'll, I'll be ready to do something else in June. <laughs> I wonder, um, I, I wanted to ask you about the highs and the lows of this whole experience. Um, would you say that the low of the experience, the the biggest low you experienced was actually after it was done? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like hugely. Got, got, I think I had everything in control, believe it or not. And I just had this job to do. And yeah, there were highs and there were lows. And, you know, it was great seeing the sunrise every morning. And sometimes you feel pain in your body and you're coming back. And, you know, there was... Um, you know, as, as, as Bracken, you, you probably know is the, the family balance of it as well. Coming back to, you know, a family and literally on some of the days I've just run 21 miles. My wife is literally handing me Henry like this. I take Henry who's crying and she's got a call that she needs to be on or, you know, she's got her work that she, she needs to do. And, um, I come back and, you know, I'm straight into being a dad. And I didn't really have a time for these like huge ups and downs. And then I literally, you know, when I finished, that was, that was the biggest low. What, um, during the event, then where would, where would some of your highs be? What were some of the big victories along the way where you were just feeling alive? Um, <laughs> the, we live in such a beautiful place. I mean, you guys know Lake Tahoe well, and it was just, you know, awesome running along and just seeing all the wildlife, you know, there was bears and, you know, like tons of other like uh, wildlife going around. And I think it was just, um, you know, seeing that, seeing these 
gorgeous sunrises and hey this is what i'm doing right now i'm running along it's you know 5 30 in the morning and i can see this glow and it's just like this is this is awesome this is great it's just me running and 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 yeah i mean that that was every morning i was really looking forward to that i think the actual the the other high was um the fact that I realized I could run to this um, bakery that opened really early in the morning and have this massive ham and cheese croissant um, and then run a faster <laughs> second half because I had all these like butter and cheese calories pouring in me. Did you master eating while running during this? Oh, 100%. That's exactly it. I mean, I, um, I can't begin to describe the... Um, the influence of food in your body. It is incredible. If you can handle eating and running, like it, it's incredible what it does, you know, to you, um, especially on some of the longer runs. And I'm, I'm going to really practice this, you know, getting calories in your body and goos don't work for me. I can't, I can't do any kind of like goos or sugary syrups or anything like that. It burns the top of my mouth and makes me feel sick. I think, you know, if, if I went for a snack, you know, I would probably, I'd be very savory and, you know, <laughs> go back to the ham and cheese grass. I love, you know, grilled cheese sandwiches or something, but um, obviously you can't have that out on a run. And so, um, I had cheese pieces with me. I had salami with me. It was great. Um, and then, you know, a uh, sort of tailwind, but yes, it, the, the art of eating whilst running was, um, uh, definitely tapped into a little bit on this. How long did that take? Like what day did you start getting really comfortable where you didn't have to think about eating? You could just do it. Yeah. Um, I, this is one aspect that I was really worried about because I've all, I, you know, I feel sick trying to put you know, eat a banana or try and, you know, um, even drink a, like a sugary tailwind or something, um, before a race, like it, it, I always has found it really difficult to get anything in me before race day or, um, even before a training run. And I think the relaxed motion of, Hey, I'm just going out for a run. I need these calories in me. I need to eat a bowl of porridge. Great. Awesome stuff. Just do it. And, um, probably by about day 15, I, it, it was very natural. Come downstairs, have a coffee, um, uh, you know, make, make myself a bowl of porridge, eat, uh, um, drink a whole load of tailwind, um, and go running immediately, immediately. See that, that's, away. that's, that's nonsensical to me. I can't because, even grasp. because the, because exactly. And, and nor did I, because the pace that I'm running at, I mean, I actually worked out that I did 465 miles in 87 hours. And that's, um, running at, um, about 11 minute mile pace or just above uh, on average. So I realized that I can run quite happily you know, a nine minute mile, super easy pace after a huge ham and cheese croissant <laughs> with no belly issues whatsoever. <laughs> That's going to pay off in your ultras you do coming up. Yes. Yeah. And I hope so. And I like, I, you know, yeah, I, I need to get a lot more speed under my belt and, um, you know, I will work on that in the next coming months because I'm, I'm not naturally the quickest guy, um, around at all. 
Um, I, I think I found my endurance, which is good, but, um, you know, and, and it's just working on different aspects. And, you know, I, I think I worked on a great head game this, you know, through the Hammond challenge I've worked on, you know, um, um, being encouraged that my body can go that far without injury and, um, without the fear of like, you know, really training hard and, and, and yeah, so I, I think, the next few months I can really now put that into practice and do some what I call real training. <laughs> well, uh, I'm interested to hear what that is because you basically just finished up the biggest base building month <laughs> I've ever heard of anyone doing. What is your plan now moving forward? Uh, well, to rest and to, to make sure that my, uh, my body heals itself correctly and, and properly. And I'm going to do a couple of easy runs. I've walked every day. I've walked three or four miles every day uh with the with the old kiddo and so i know my body is feeling good i know it's healing i think um there's a couple of things that i really want to want to work on um in my game and that is that is speed so um i don't i don't have the fastest 5k time um in june i'm going to try and get my 5k record which isn't very fast <laughs> what is it what is it <laughs> uh it's about 1755 Oh, that's not bad. I, I bet you. I bet you're feeling about as slow as ever, though, after doing all those long, slow miles, huh? Yeah, so now we're really going to just shift the pendulum the other way. A little and, bit, yeah. Balance all that. Yeah. Um, did, did you? A quick curiosity I had um, about just real quick. Did you lose weight while you were doing all this? You know what? I, I'm I'm kind of annoyed at myself because I never weighed myself before or after. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, Visually, uh, what's it like? Oh, uh, exactly the same. <laughs> but but <laughs> Raka, I haven't. My body hasn't changed since I was twenty-one years old. Interesting. I I I am literally the same height, the same weight. I you know same look. Like my body has. I don't think my body has really changed since I was twenty-one years old. I think I've lost quite a bit of my um my paddling power. I you know used to be a professional kayaker, um and and rafter, and so my upper body was huge um at one point and um i i think i've lost a little bit of that but um but i've pretty much stayed within that um you know 165 to 175 range uh, so back so back to your 5k then um you know we think if you if you know the philosophy i have is if you can get faster over shorter durations you should be able to extend that speed endurance out to longer yeah. events so becoming a faster runner uh hypothetically should be able to help you become a faster ultra runner yeah um, so what's your plan, Steve? How are you going to get faster at the 5k? I'm not sure. I might have to tap into it. <laughs> uh, so, so Mark Buttress has coached me for quite a while and, uh, just helped me here and there. And like every now and again, I can ring him up and, and help him. So I think, um, yeah, I think I'm doing some short, sh sh shorter, faster runs and, um, you know, tapping into you guys a bit as well about, you know, what's the best to, 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 to get, to get a little bit faster. Um, what's funny is that I know I've done so i like trail running you know obviously i love trail running i've never done like a flat 5k run really ever um i think i've done one or two but um some of some of my runs and you can't really judge your time like some of my runs i've um you know i've done sub 530 pace for three miles going downhill you know i've done a sub five minute mile pace running technical downhills but um, yeah, I don't think I could ever run that on the road or on the flat. So I think 
um you know i i know I, I know i have some leg speed i know i'm good in the mountains i think i want to i want to get my flat running dialed in and i want to try and you know get a really good 5k time under my belt and get a good um so i my goal is to go sub 17 at some point um before i'm 40 and i'm 40 in november <laughs> <laughs> well, i think you have a good shot of it so that's yeah that's my that's my next little 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 game but i've I, you know I've, uh, even as you know even as a youngster i've never 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 that quick luckily you picked a sport where staying power is more important than foot speed yeah and um i think uh i think the reason why i've done you know i wouldn't say reasonably well well you know wouldn't, wouldn't say very well but reasonably well in some of the um spartan races that i have done um is because of the terrain like you know, sometimes on a flat road, I, you know, I could barely run below a seven minute mile. And then sometimes if it's like all sandy and there's like, you know, huge clumps of mud everywhere, all of a sudden I find myself running at a seven minute mile pace. <laughs> so I pride myself, you know, running relatively quickly on shit terrain. Mm-hmm. Steve, we um we wanted to get to know you just a little bit beyond your thirty day challenge, and you lead me into my first question. Actually, is what is? Do you have a running background? What is your background there? Uh, my background is, uh, you know, in running is um, the UK cross country scene a little bit as a kid. Um, I went to the county champs. I was I didn't do particularly well, but I went as a t- part of a team, and I think I came came in like top thirty or top forty or something, uh, which was fine. But our cross country champs um our cost country is very very different to what i feel that you know i can compare it to um say california cost country where everything's on dry dirt super flat um it's all about leg speed and fast for our cost country it's all about how muddy how boggy i remember we had 15 millimeter spikes um running in our shoes we we were like you know knee deep in bogs running in mud like snow how like you know it was it was really 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 like uh just like obstacle course racing it was it was basically technically a mud run and i love that terrain um when i grew up a little bit um i i you know in uh sort of my late teens kind of dropped out of school um it's more club orientated with the um with with sports in the uk um so i play you know i play cricket football um uh soccer um and um uh a lot of athletic stuff but then i quickly moved into um sort of outdoor pursuits so kayaking climbing rock climbing um uh you know, mountaineering, skiing, that kind of stuff. So that's that's where I kind of got into, so more into the mountains. And um, so the competition almost went away a little bit and it was just more me focusing on um, sort of the the, out, the outdoors. But uh, I, <laughs> I remember one thing uh, which kind of s- sits with me a long time is uh, part of our leadership, uh, our mountain leadership awards that we had, we had to get in order to, um, you know, take people out into the mountains. Very, there's these big national governing body awards that we have to have in the UK. Um, it was almost a career for me going down there, you know, teaching outdoor outdoor pursuits uh, to kids and adults. Is that we had to get a certain amount of mountain days and certain amount of mountain peaks um, in. Uh, so I lived in Scotland and I used to, you know, literally just take a small pack, 
short, short running shorts and, you know, go and bag all these peaks in a day. And I, I remember only a few people were kind of like running around doing it. And I remember presenting my logbook, you know, at sort of 18, 19 years old to, you know, to this old guy who had, you know, walked a thousand mountains, you know, big beard. And he was checking for all the logs and it was just like, how is it possible that you, he didn't believe my logbook, the fact that I had gone and run like, you know, seven of these mountains in one day. And I was just like, yeah, I just went up and ran and, and come back. And he's just like, oh, no, that's a three-day trip. And I think that very quickly realized into, oh, I love feral running. I love the mountains. And um, and we'll go out and sort of, you know, bag these peaks and do quicker sense of, you know, so, so, you know some of these rocky um, rocky terrains. And uh, especially in Glencoe, where they now have the Glencoe Sky Race. Um, but the Anakiga Ridge, yeah, it was awesome. Um, you know, curved ridge, which they have the uh, um, have the race up now. It's almost like a five three climbing route that you know you have to sort of get up to um, uh, in that race. But yeah, Sky Sky Run was a big part of my life even before it be, be, became a sport. How'd you get into professional paddling then? Um, so so. Um, sort of growing up into this outdoor industry, I, um, you know, was doing a lot of kayaking, a lot of climbing, uh, skiing, all this kind of stuff. And that sort of led into expeditions and, you know, taking people to, um, you know, all, all, all corners um, of the world um, doing this stuff and getting paid for it. So um, I kind of, uh, I lived in Scotland, you know, met a ton of people um you know in the industry and um uh so the kayaking side of stuff uh kind of took off you know first ascents doing like a bunch of you know uh, different expeditions and then worked for a company called water by nature and so um we you know we set up this company and um oh so you know i good friend of mine set up a company i worked for him and um you know it was a as an organize organization um that was uh, that, that took um, took people to Nepal, took people to um, uh, so Africa, and uh, I worked as one of their lead guides in this. And we we set up different stuff like you know we had kite festivals on the Zambezi. We had you know different other you know huge trekking and you know rafting combos in um, in Nepal, and then a bunch of other stuff in Norway and you know even Morocco and the Atlas Mountains. And I would just follow along along with them and go to the next uh go to the next uh uh destination and um it was yeah really really exciting so i did that for many many years so you've been nomadic your whole life yeah, very much so yeah very very much so for, for about 14 15 years i've been 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 nomadic and actually uh met my wife on the zambezi river she was a client of mine <laughs> and um uh, and realized that it was time to get out of that game and discover a new one you speak of this also casually, like you just drop all these beautiful, amazing places that you've just casually lived in. Like it's no big deal. That's, that's been your life since basically you graduated or since you stopped going to like a school as a young kid. Huh? Yeah, pretty much so. So yeah, I lived, lived in Scotland for a bit, tried to put some roots down there. Uh, didn't quite work out for me. Um, you know, but the, but it ignited, uh, you know, the outdoor, um, uh, sort of the, the passion and the fire and that's exactly what I wanted to do um, so did that for did that for a very very long time you know skiing skiing during the winters and then um, uh, 
basically turned into rafting um, for the spring, summer, and autumns, chasing the water. Is Tahoe the longest you've lived in a place in your adult life? Yep. Lake Tahoe? Yep. And how long have you been there for? Uh, almost, almost four and a half, five years. Yeah. So five years is the longest you've stayed put in your entire damn yep. life. Huh? <laughs> What's been the most beautiful? Let's let's say Tahoe aside, because obviously Tahoe is your favorite because you've lived there the longest. I'm just gonna say, where was where's probably the coolest or most unique place that you've I don't know put roots down for a little while? Um, it's all. I, I mean, I've been to a lot of a lot of cool places, but um, you know, Norway has always got a, uh, a special place in my heart just from its like ruggedness uh, especially northern norway i mean africa is just out of this world it's just incredible when you really dive deep into it i don't think i can i can pick a you know one spot um i've always loved the sort of nomadic you know the, there's a reason why we go through different seasons and like you you i i used to say that i i went to these places in the best of their seasons um, you know, you go to Nepal when, when, when the water is raging there and, you know, it's all beautiful. It's like when their snow is melting, it's, a, you know, it's springtime generally. And, um, you know, I've, I've been very blessed to go to all these different places uh, at the peak of their, you know, of their time. Um, you know, on the, on the Zambezi as the, the water's right, you know, the, the water's just dropping off because you can't raft it when it's too big. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, beautiful sunshine every day and the people are awesome. And, um, you know, and, and you, you get to meet, um, some awesome clients too. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, um, I think Norway is always on my tick list of where I'm going to, you know, take my son and show him, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, my wife, where in the world I want to go back to uh, where I've been. It's definitely, definitely Norway and Scotland are um, key places. What's the wildest animal encounters you've had? Rafting rivers, doing all this kind of stuff, like hippo, croc. What, what have you run into? Yeah, both uh, hippos and crocs. Hippos we've been pretty pretty good with because I think if you have an incident with a hippo, you know about it. Um, and I might not necessarily be here. We had a couple of incidences uh, with crocs uh, in our camp trying to scavenge for food and um you know there's me and a few local guys like chasing a crocodile out, out of camp uh in africa with rocks and <laughs> chugging rocks in it. Sure. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah I, th I think that 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 that's always quite fun um but uh on our one of our expeditions in um in nepal um it wasn't really about the uh, about animal endanger endangerment, really. It was, uh, um, you know, more about the interest in of the locals coming in and wondering what you were doing, and um, you know, just like find <laughs> seeing the fact that you you've got a, a complete raft set up and they've never seen anything like it because you you know you're one of three or four people that have ever been down that river, and um, I think those um, those experiences. Um, you know, as long as uh, as long with the uh, the wildlife will uh, will stay with me forever. Did that ever wear not wear thin for you? But are you happier now that you have a home base, or do you miss that nomadic, free range lifestyle? Uh, yes, yes, and no, and no, and yes. Um, so yeah, um, absolutely. I really needed it. Um, you know, I I needed to get away from that um scenario it's a very much a singleman's you know job um 
uh, I wanted, I wanted desperately wanted to be a dad, um, you know, and I did want to put roots down somewhere and, um, you know, maybe start a different career. Like I, I'd done that, you know, the whitewater rafting, the guiding for a long time. I was very good at it. Um, you know, it was great. It didn't really, um, it didn't really push me or challenge me. And I think the, the day that I met Stace, um, you know, in Africa and she, she was on a trip with her dad and she's from, um, from California. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think the day I met her, I was just like, all right, okay. I, I, I can see myself dating someone and then moving somewhere else and then starting a possible different career. Had no idea what it would be and had no idea how I fell into to, to Spartan, but that's that's a completely different story. <laughs> well, it may, it puts into perspective why Spartan has worked for you. Because I've always kind of wondered, you know, uh, a husband, father and you, to a young boy now, um, how you've managed to keep you know, your home life and so much traveling going. And I guess the answer is that this isn't a lot of traveling for you. This is not, this is very normal. And me and my wife met in under those circumstances and nothing's changed really. And so um, if, if you take somebody from a nine to five job and then tell them to go and do my job in Spartan, then they'll be a little bit shocked because they don't know how to deal with it. I think our family has been brought up in this and Henry, no, I mean, apart from the COVID, <laughs> apart from this time right now, which is the longest time we have been together as a family and probably the longest time I've been with anybody in my whole period, <laughs> of, you know, apart from growing up. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think they, they know any better and, and nor, nor do I, um, you know, having that two week going out, setting up the course, you know, doing that spot and then coming back for a couple of weeks, that's, that's worked for me and, and will probably work for me, um, for, for a long period of time. Did you move to California to be closer to her family? Is that how that decision was made or was it just Tahoe's beautiful and I want to be there? Well, um, yeah, so Stacy got brought up in Newport Beach in California, and uh, their, their their parents live very very close to the beach. Um, so she's a surfer, does the surfer. That's that's kind of what they do. It's very crowded down there, so um, Stacy didn't really want to live down there. Uh, she 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 actually owns a dance studio um, in in Southern California, but she's always managed it from afar. So she's been slightly nomadic too. She spent a lot of time in New Zealand, spent a lot of time in South America, spent a lot of time traveling. So, you know, for both of us, I think Tahoe is a perfect destination uh, for us to be. We looked at Mammoth, we looked at a bunch of, you know, Colorado, but um, uh, we're quite, it's very easy to drive down to Reno, fly, you know, fly wherever, um, obviously pre, pre-COVID, but um uh yeah and we we've set definitely set down some routes and we're very closely working with you know um sort of the uh, there's a lot of locals here who have become our very very best you know very very best friends and um it's awesome to be part of that community and um uh you know helping them in a time like this as well moving forward here do you do you place more emphasis on your growing role with Spartan, or are you more looking forward to getting back to your own personal racing? Um, I think my own personal racing has always been on the side, and mm-hmm. will always will be on the side. My my job and you know, um, like 
my focus in Spartan, helping, um, you know, develop new things in the pro team, um, developing, you know, um, sort of aspects of the sport, um, doing a bunch of other stuff, you know, continuing with the courses, um, you know, helping, yeah, have the best, um, you know, sport out there is where my main focus is. If I get to race, then absolutely great. I'll keep myself in the best shape I possibly can, but it, it's, it's not about, you know, um, I think for me, it's not about, you know, the, 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 uh, the competition or the winning or anything like that. It's like, if I, if I able to get to race, I know it's my passion. I know, I know it's going to be there, but, uh, I think it's the more creating of the, of the sport itself, um, is where my main focus is and probably will, will, will be, uh, in the future. That makes sense. I always wonder about this because you're like Mr. Fourth or fifth place. I feel like in these second day events, it's like every single freaking time. And I think you were on your feet all day for a week, mapping out the course. Then you're running five thirty mile pace, keeping up with the elites with a camera the day before. And then you go and race on tired legs on a Sunday after everybody's raced already. Have you ever raced fresh, Steve? Like, do we even know what you're capable of out on the course? Um, have I ever raced fresh? Uh, I think, yeah, I, I raced my first ever fresh race down on SoCal Super uh, this year. Um, oh. I, yeah, I, uh, I came. You had a good race there, didn't you? I had, a, I had a good race. Yeah, I had a very, very good race. I think I came fourth. Or fifth, yeah, probably always for fifth. <laughs> That's what it seems like to me, Steve. I I I realized one day the how tough your races must be. I taught an obstacle specialist course the day before a Monterey Super, and I was out there for like nine or ten hours in the sun, not with the type of pre-race food I would normally do. I was on my feet for so long, and at the end of that day, I just couldn't wait to go and lay down and just try to do whatever I could to recover for the next day. And I was just laying there thinking like, that was so dumb. Why did I do that? And that's, that's the way you feel every race you run. That's it's, it's incredible to me. I don't, I don't know any different, I think, <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, th thanks. Um, yeah, I would love to, I I'd love to actually like have a focus, um, go and pick a race, uh, that's kind of like, um geared you know geared towards me i've always done well so for the last two years uh i didn't race it last year but the, the two years prior i've always done well on the second day at sacramento um where the ground is i don't know if you guys have ever raced at sacramento but it is just like pothole city you you know you can't ever really run very fast there because it's just very very difficult terrain um and sometimes in you know uh i think it's november that we do it it rains it's it's very clay muddy or the obstacles become very difficult difficult and i always thrive on that kind of um you know terrain uh where where the obstacles are slightly more difficult and uh, so i podium twice there's my only ever podiums in in spartan races uh two two twos um but that but um i i would love to focus on a on a race that kind of suits me and then train and become you know like actually go fresh and and see see what i see what i can do um because i haven't i don't think i've unleashed my potential yet on on, on a course um but uh maybe i'll wait till i'm 40 next year <laughs> 
So you've done course design and you've done all this stuff. If you had to create the Steve Hammond course, this is your course that is just predicated around you doing as well as you possibly could. What location would it be and what distance? Uh, it would probably be, um, it'd probably be a beast and it would probably be a, um, that's a very good question. Um, a big bear, but a little bit more technical. So I do like hills. It has to be at high elevation because I like, you know, I live at, I live at just shy of 7,000 feet. So my dream course would probably be something along the lines of um, a cross between Big Bear and Vermont, uh, but being a, 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 <laughs> everything covered in mud and, um, you know, at high altitude. You know, nice. I love steep technical downs. So yeah, just nasty courses. I love a bit of bushwhacking. Um but just kind of like grind. So, you know, I love these big bear courses where everyone's moving quite slowly, but it's just that um, if you make that slight change and going a little bit faster uphill can make all the difference between breaking. You know, it's not like running um, a 530 against running a 550 on a flat. Um, it's about grinding up the hill. And uh, I think slower courses where... Um, you still need to be smoothing and out of obstacles, but you know, because the train makes that super difficult. Like always loved the Seattle races, always done well there, always done well in like Montana, um, always done well in like Sacramento where the ground's always tricky and uh, always struggled in places, you know, where it's quick, like Monterey or, um, you know, uh, other, other flat and fast venues. When you design a course, is it difficult not to play to your own personal bias? to to not just make things that you would want to play in is that tricky well, i i think i think because there's just such a huge group of people i couldn't i couldn't do it you know otherwise there'd be like seven tire flips um <laughs> <laughs> i love that obstacle um yeah i i mean it's um uh, there's, there's only, there's only so much, you know, I, I can do myself cause I, I, I don't have like, um, the full, you know, the game of it, you've got the race director, you got the, um, uh, you've got the construction manager. There's only certain places that we could put certain, certain, um, obstacles. Um, there's a reason why sometimes it's not just because of, um, you know, oh yeah, it'd be great to have, um, bucket carry than twister than this it's just sometimes it's just where it will fit in the venue and so you know um i i haven't quite worked out exactly what my perfect one would be but i know i like long carries and i know i like difficult terrain and um uh so you know sometimes i like to like to make that inner course and i'll be like oh great Let's say you show up at a new venue of Spartans um, and you just show up and here's the land, Steve, and it is yours to do with what you feel. What are the what are the things you think about? What do you how do you make your decisions? So um, a lot, you know, um, go, going back a little bit on in the sort of the Spartan, um, you know, the protocols and a lot of it would have been kind of like mapped out. Um, you know, even before we go on site and maybe there, there might be a, like a little site, uh, sort of a pre-site visit where people can work out where and where we can't go on the land, um, where and where we can't build obstacles, 
what obstacles that we can build there because some you can build but you can't stake especially at like a you know a ski resort there's lots of places where we can build stuff but there's not a lot of places where we can stake so it, it determines what we can and can't put there um and then obviously the terrain where we can go in the, in in on the course and where we can't so when when we get there um a lot of my aim is basically the obstacles have already been placed and then I get the job of like doing, you know, joining the dots, A to B, B to C, C to D, all within the the kind of the remit of, um, you know, now it's a 5K, 10K half marathon. So Sprint Super Beast. That's really interesting. Yeah. So um, we kind of, you know, there, there'd be a rough plan. The race director would have, you know, had a rough plan of, um, and sometimes not just a rough plan, but like, a, hey, this is where the course needs to go. We spoke to the the point of contact and you can't go anywhere else. And sometimes we're super restricted. Sometimes like Montana, well, you can go wherever you want, you know, so you sort of make these loops and you can go through the forest and you can go up a hill, go down a hill, go this way and that way. And there's some places like Monterey, it's just like, you must stay on this track all the way till you get to the top and you have to turn a left. And so therefore, you know, it's so hit and miss. If... Um, usually my first job on site is I get there and, um, you know, and then we're kind of deciding how long to make each section or, or, or where we're going to go, what type of terrain that we go through. And, um, you know, obviously the amount of time that we've got to do it as well. Cause if you do, you know, 11 miles of bushwhacking, then that's a lot of areas to, uh, make sure that it's safe to go. So safety is a huge, um, in my mind as well, uh, massive, massive. Like that's why I pre-run all you know all the races that I set up to make sure that you know it can cope with speed and it can cope with you know putting tight corners and you know if you're going to hammer down um, sub five minute miles down a down a hill, then I want to make sure that you know it's it's capable of doing that. When you talk about connecting, okay, obstacle one, to obstacle two, and then your job is to find the path to get there. And let's say there's a few options. You could take this way or that way or this way. Do you always pick the hardest way on purpose, Steve? No, or no. do you do you look for balance? Do you look for course balance? Absolutely not. And you'll you'll realize in in some of the courses, you know, there are um, there are areas where um especially during the start it'd be nice and wide we're not kicking you straight into single track or um you know we're 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 not putting you through somewhere that could cause a bottleneck earlier on and it's kind of you know the wider um not <laughs> not everybody uh appreciates you know um bushwhacking for 14 miles um and ryan atkins does uh, ryan atkins does but then you got to think of it from the big point of view as well from a um from an open racer now you could have bushwhacking for um you know three or four miles of the course but actually what happens when so say let's take um uh west virginia for instance there's these huge amounts of you know areas that you just you know crash through um the elites will go through and kind of create their own path but what happens when a hundred people, a thousand people, ten thousand people have gone through that? They all take the easiest line, and what they do is actually create a pretty much you can put you can put a 20, 20 foot wide tape system all the way through. But what will happen is after a thousand people have gone through, we'll leave a single track, and therefore these open races are going through, and they've got nowhere to pass people, and it can be 
ultimately very frustrating for them. So thinking of the big picture in my job is very, very key. And sometimes it's mix and matching that up. And I have no qualms whatsoever about putting a big fire road in um, and uh, having that as, you know, a three or four mile section to break it all up and then spitting them back in the woods again. And it's taken me a long time to kind of like find that balance, but, you know, keep it, keeping the balance for elite races so it's safe and also for open races so they can have the best experience as well. There's so much more that goes into this than I think most open people, but even like, even what a top racer, we'd look at it and they'd be like, why, why couldn't they just do this for us? Or why are we doing this section again? <laughs> I, I got a million of them and sometimes there's, there's answers and sometimes there's not. So what are your top venues to work at where you just get carte blanche? You can do whatever you want. Uh, like Mo Montana has always been a fantastic one because you can do whatever you want in Montana. Um, you know, it is, it is just such a awesome venue. Asheville was a brilliant venue that I kind of loved, um, you know, in, in, in times gone by. Um, Big Bear with all its restrictions was always a super fun venue to work with, but the point of contacts were all always awesome too you know they, they were they were great at big bear and um you know super fun people to work with and very keen to get out and see where you're you know taking the course and stuff um so yeah that, that's it's always been a very exciting part you know part of my job and some venues like seattle you have to almost keep to um yeah keep to where you've all been before because there's not been a lot of options but i you know I, I think I've come to the understanding and you guys may or may not agree, but, um, you know, yeah, a lot of people want variety, but sometimes it's very difficult to have that variety, but how about doing a couple of courses and, you know, Spartan have, um, have a little interest in this as well, but, uh, we haven't, we've not quite got there yet, but, uh, I would love to set up a course where it's almost like a legacy course where we have the same course every single year on that you know on that date so, so for instance let's call it seattle same obstacles same course same exact same exact exact course and then the legacy will go oh do you remember when kirk dewitt did a you know a 203 at this venue and um i would love to create that because that will help the sport in future as well i mean if people can go and do the london marathon um you know for the last however long years and do the same exact course on tarmac and get that amount of people and they're literally only going back you know for the for the for the distance and for the time it takes them to do that distance and i would love to create um, you know, this, this is one of my little, little things that I would love to do in Spartan is create this kind of like little legacy course. Um, yeah. I think it'd be a brilliant thing to do for a world championship. Because mm -hmm. you remember looking back, oh, do you remember John Alban in, you know, 2019 mm -hmm. did this? Yeah, I would have. And Tahoe would have been a perfect venue to do that with all its restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. It would have to be a place that wouldn't change drastically with weather or with repeated viewings of the course that vegetation yes. wouldn't get beat down into a runnable section it would have to be a rocky or firm terrain yeah yeah for sure Ma mountains mountains prove it best as well i mean um and and it does work i mean look at the sky races and you know like uh i i'm not sure how ocr fell into this uh, i i have my ideas of of how it did but um 
we're under the impression that we needed to change it up and do something different every single time because in the early days of Spartan, we had no idea. I remember working in 2013 in, in the UK. We had no idea of like how we were setting up this course. We were just like throwing, you know, we, we didn't know, know what obstacles we were going to build. We were just building an obstacle here. Oh, yeah, this would be great. We put this here. We put this up there and no real plan or structure. And, um, and it was different every single time. And therefore, our clientele grew to expect, oh, we don't, you know, we don't know what to expect. We don't know what it's going to be. And, um, uh, yeah, I, th I, I don't think it's massively detrimental to have something um, a little bit more structured and a little bit, you know, um, because we have so many, we have 65 different venues in the, in the U.S., so we have enough um we have enough change um i think um i'm trying to think of the word but i think i think we have a we ha we we have a we have enough um you know the different variety thank you we have enough different varieties that we can um we we can have like you know not get bored but uh therefore bring it back to you know tahoe you know exactly what you're going to get you know that john album destroyed that course in you know um 2018 and it's like yeah this is this is his time um you know in 10 years time i you know um want my son or you know or somebody else growing up in the sport to test himself on that that time and uh i don't think it will go amiss to to have these legacy courses at some point i think i think weekly we have the conversation of like who is the greatest racer of all time and which generation what would hobie from the beginning compared to a an atkins or a vj now and and i think that would help settle it wouldn't it steve uh, i think so yeah absolutely it's very you know almost impossible to kind of tell um yeah you know I, i'm enjoying those uh those jack bauer contests and uh, <laughs> work, work, working out who you know who it is maybe it's a popularity contest i mean maybe, uh -huh. hopefully it's just the sport i don't know I, I think everybody looks you're one of the more lovable guys in this sport i think everybody looks at you pretty fondly i have one of the best demeanors of most people that i know um do you think like you seem to really love your job like you actually love your job. I don't think a lot of people love their jobs the way you love yours. What's your favorite part about being Trailmaster Hammond? <laughs> oh, mate. Well, first of all, you made me blush. But uh, I, I've always been in a job that I've adored. You know, whether it be the rafting side of stuff, whether it be guiding skiing, I've always chosen to have a job that um, you know suits me and. Um, you know, I, th I think, you know, we all have choices and sometimes it's a big sacrifice, but to, you know, my choice was to have a job that I've absolutely adored. So, um, falling into the Spartan and, you know, you know, half, um, you know, I wouldn't say creating it, but help, um, you know, help creating these courses is just like, it's, it's, it's fantastic. But the best, the, <laughs> the best part, I mean, um, I mean, working for the team for Spartan is is pretty awesome, and having something that I don't, you know, it's very rare to like. If if Spartan didn't exist, if I were to try and work out my exact job on paper, um, I, you know, I don't think I'll be able to do it and be able to get it as close to what I've got right now in Spartan. I mean, um, 
like i don't have a degree i'm very uneducated <laughs> as it were um you know like reading and writing is is um it's and, and and even working computers is terrible for me um and so I had to have something which doesn't involve many of that stuff you know not a lot of those jobs exist and um you know getting to run around out on course and you know do a bunch of that um is is pretty incredible for me um to fall into a job which i can kind of excel and you know um use my skills um although most of them will be a little bit slim um to you know to 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 the real test and um i think you know spartan has uh you know i found my niche in 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 spartan so where's where's the biggest payoff for you then is it you stand there and look at the course you've designed and be like, that's a damn good course. And that's the satisfying feeling. Or is it watching droves of people cross the finish line with smiles on their face and enjoying what you've put for them? Like, where's the biggest payoff for you, satisfaction wise? One of my biggest payoffs is watching, you know, watching the first few come in to watching the very, very last people come in as well. I think uh, having that broad spectrum of seeing somebody like the exact same course. So seeing somebody absolutely cross it a ryan atkins coming you know storming in and seeing him you know completely nutly obliterate the course to then walking with the very last racer through the very sandbag through the very bucket carry through the very dunk wall that you know elite athletes go in is a very very unique experience i mean we are very blessed and very uh it's 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 almost unreal to have in our sport something that um uh you can have any open races to go through and the top top um you know uh one of the fittest people in the world go through as well and test themselves on we have a very unique product um uh, which is incredible to watch and and to help be uh a part of that um with a with an awesome team is pretty yeah uh, that that is that is the reason why i'm there so what is your prognosis for Spartan right now with the whole COVID um, debacle? Are, are they going to come out the other side with company intact, employees intact, ability to start just hit the ground running whenever the, the, the ban is lifted? Or is this going to be like any other industry where it's going to be in shambles and it has to pick itself back up? Well, the good, the good thing about like, so, um, so I, just, I just came off flur furlough um just very recently so i am back now as an employee of spartan which is fantastic so it proves that they're going in the right direction of, of what we're trying to trying to do so employees are now coming back on and so i take that as a very good sign um there has there has been you know the likes of mike morish uh, dave watson and you know uh, a bunch of other people who have stayed on uh through this time have been working their asses off to hopefully try and create something that um, you know people can come back to, where whether it be in phases. So I know that there's um, a lot of work going into trying to um, trying to get races back on. Um, it's so out of our hands uh, in terms of um, you know different restrictions in different states and that kind of stuff so um i i know what joe's like and joe joe would be keen to be one of the first people to put put back on an event and um uh i 
you know, I'll, I would hope to be there too. And, um, you know, I know the feelers have already been out of, uh, you know, some questionnaires of what it will look like or, you know, how people may feel if a Spartan race may come into their area during this time. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think we're on the right, um, I think we're on the right uh, road in terms of, you know, trying to look after people, the safety, you know, working with local um uh, regulations and all that kind of stuff, um, and I think I think I think we will come through this, and I think we will survive. It's given us a really good time to kind of um, you know figure out different aspects of our sport as well, um, and uh, you know I all I can say is in a couple of years' time, I think we're you know we'll be in a position where um, where the staff, the pros, the um, other races will be very proud of um you know what spartan is and 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 where it's going because there's a lot of awesome ideas coming down the chain all right so races i believe right now are canceled through the end of the month at least right or june 15th you know middle of july middle middle of july now yeah middle of july i think so and all the pieces are still in place then so after the middle of july to we you potentially could just, Hey, now we're going to race. And the every, it's not going to be like a delayed effect. Like once that time comes, like the plan is to still race those events post July, mid July, as far as our intentions are now. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I can't say anything um, on the record. I mean, I, I, I actually have no idea either. Um, I think one thing I can say is that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a very different look um depending on what we can what we can provide uh to determine in what state or where we're at um you know obviously in new york there's you know a very slim chance of them having an event on for you know even 250 people um but in other states they might might look as though there might be um and and it's it's so fluid it's ever changing i mean you you're, you're talking about you know in california there's been three uh rules on the beaches in three days they're open one beach they close another beach then they're, they're allowed you know then there's a the blanket closure now you're allowed to run on the beach if you want you're allowed to go surf now you're not allowed to surf and and this is like hip you know hopscotching all, all around california it's so it's going to be so weird of when we can kind of get because what we need to set on a race is everybody on board saying yeah this is exactly what we're going to do um and because it's ever changing daily um that's going to be it's going to be a hard task but it will it it will return and uh we will still be here and we will have races we will have races back on um unfortunately we just don't know when i'll tell you what a lot a lot of people found out how much they care about this sport when it was taken away from them briefly the number of people that have rallied around uh, setting up virtual racing and the number of like messages and posts you're seeing about people just like dearly missing what you know Spartan has created is actually astounding in my opinion. Uh, and um, I, I think what we're finding a lot as well in doing some some sort of research is uh, people have you know come on to Spartan for two or three years and then they haven't kind of been back or you know they've done a couple of races then they haven't been back I think we're going to see a massive rise um of people coming back and, and reigniting their, their their love for it as well um but um also from a kind of a broader spectrum 
um i love seeing stuff like um you know this virtual races that you know uh buttress did about buttress buttress did and and, and mark Gaudet and um you know mike wardian and for me the big picture of that race was unbelievable because um it's an ocr company uh, or you know a, a media company doing a race that has nothing really in the big picture nothing to do with obstacle course racing it's a ro- it's a, it's a road running trail running event this is exactly what it is and it's completely ca- captured a ton of people who you know just needed or wanted something to do and you know off the cuff in a couple of weeks they got 400 participants which in a trail event is pretty huge um and you know from ocr community so in the big picture this is where the likes of spartan are going into trail and um you know we're we're getting mike ward in and a bunch of other people kind of you know cross networking is a fantastic bridge for all the all the sports and um I, 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 yeah, and so that—that's one takeaway I've got from this. That—that that it's, you know, that—that's a brilliant event. That—that that—that's um, kind of, you know, bridged the gap a little. It's encouraging that in this time, fitness has become like the the grounding wire for all of us. That it's—it's it's the one thing that's not leaving people. Kirk and I are both coaches, and we've both seen that people are coming out of the woodwork rather than leaving. Like this is one of those things that isn't going to prove to be a falsehood. And that momentum will carry forward into races. People are going to be so starved for racing and for just getting out to an awesome venue that I think, I think Spartan and whatever race venue or race company can put on races, they're going to sell out so quickly. It's going to be shocking. I, and and I think so. And you know, we just have to be patient. But uh, I I completely agree with you, Bracken. I think I think it's going to be a little resurgence, and it's actually going to be good for the sport. And um, yeah, it's. I mean, imagine the vibe of that first event coming back. You know, almost pre-COVID state. Uh, hopefully, that that's just going to be electric. Uh, it's going to be awesome, and um, you know, it will showcase the elites. Um, and also right the way for age group to 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 the open as well and just the energy is going to be there and um yeah that's uh that's one one thing i'm definitely looking forward to um that's that's definitely on on my future aim so let's um let's bring this back to you real quick steve so if racing isn't resuming for a couple of months uh what do you do what do you do in these next few months what's on your agenda you mentioned you want to get fast uh, what else are you going to be focusing on these next these next few months? Um, so personally, a lot of sort of uh, strength stuff. Um, so s- speed and strength in terms of my fitness. Uh, Family wise, spend you know sp- spend as much time as I can with wife and kiddo. Loving this right now. You know Henry turned two in January, um, so he's like running around like a little rug rat and loving the beach and want to go kayak in and do, you know, like he's just loving, loving life right now. And it's great to be a, you know, um, a full-time dad for him as well. In terms of work, um, doing, you know, doing quite a lot behind the scenes for Spartan, um, uh, helping 
figure out what we're going to do with this pro team and what that looks like in the big picture. And I've got a couple of, you know, awesome ideas and so is the team. And so I'm not going to say anything yet, but be very excited in the future. Um, Ooh. you know, the, the team are, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the team are onto something really good. Um, and then, uh, you know, having the time to develop that properly and really like dig deep and focus of really where we want to take the sport as well. And, um, you know, also listening into the athletes as well and reaching out to, you know, I've reached out to a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the athletes, um, and, and, and listening into what the feel is that, um, so we can provide what the best, you know, uh, the best thing is for the protein. Um, I think also just working on, you know, uh, you know, different stuff with Spartan and, you know, future goals and aims. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good. It's an exciting time. And I think one thing that this thing has taught me, uh, the, the Hammond challenge is how much stuff that you can actually get done in a day. If you, uh, if, if you really set goals and aims and it's like, all right, I could wait, wake up at four 30 in the morning and work for, you know, three hours. Um, or, you know, uh, just setting aside time in your day to do something. So, you know, those 87 hours that I used to, you know, run, run 465 miles, I can, I can now use, um, you know, very differently and, um, you know, to the benefit of my family. That's awesome. That's and that's like, if, if nothing else got taken out of that, that's huge to find another extra two weeks of work in your month is crazy. Yeah. And, and, and it is crazy. And you had to fit, you know, like that, that's what it was. It was fitting it in. And, you know, if, if I have, yeah, that, that is my massive takeaway and I want to pass that on to other people. Uh, I saw this awesome running documentary of this, uh, I think he's Kiwi or Australian guy who I think it's titled One Mile an Hour or something. It, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's pretty rad. You have to look it up on YouTube uh, or it's one mile. I think it's one mile an hour or something. But basically the concept is this. He has 24 hours um, to run a marathon. Um, every hour on the hour, he goes and runs a mile as an exact mile block around his house. And then within the other time, he wants, wants to try and um, basically within running a marathon, he's going to make tables. He's going to um, you know cook food. He's going to do a ton of other stuff. He's going to see how much stuff he can do in that 24-hour period whilst running a marathon. And it's a brilliant little short film. Very, very well done. Um, and uh, it's well recommended to watch because it kind of dictates exactly what we were just um, talking about of how much time we've, we have in the month and how, how much time we actually waste as well. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, that's well worth the watch. And um, may, may, maybe that's my next aim. <laughs> Well, that led me kind of on the next question. You mentioned after your Hammond Challenge now is completed, made you realize like maybe you want some more grandiose goals to shoot for. Are you already mowing over some thoughts, some big, some big goals in the future? Anything you want to shoot for? Uh, not really. I'm a little bit sporadic when it comes to like uh, an idea will come up and I'll just like I'll just do it. Um, I've uh, I think I've got some like nice daily goals. Um, uh, you'll you'll enjoy this one actually, Kurt. I've realised that um, yep. you know I've I've got this really nice down 
this 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 pack this pack rod um fishing rod uh and and real nice lightweight reel and uh we have all these beautiful mountain lakes way 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 up there um in the high sierras and i've never caught a golden trout before so i've got mm. this crazy idea that i'm going to basically do these backcountry running fishing trips um because i worked out my rod fits in my little uh little hydration pack and um you know a lot of these lakes that catch golden trout needs a couple of days you go up and camp you go fish and mm -hmm. i kind of want to do this run in fish run out <laughs> hey if you need a, an accountability partner there steve you just give me a call and i'll find a way to join you i uh i actually did that once i i went on a, a tent basically a 10 mile uh almost off trail uh, camper with my fishing rod. This is about a decade ago and to, to catch a golden trout at like 12,000 feet of elevation. And I caught one, it was about four and a half inches long and it took me a whole day and a half of work to do it. And it was still worth it. You're still on the golden trout club. That's awesome. That's right. I am. Yeah, I get it, man. I get it. I like that. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's my next little aim, which <laughs> I can't think of a better goal. Honestly, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, I like my fishing too. So, Steve, who who do you have to to thank, uh, or or people you want to shout out, sponsors, people behind you, supporting you? Yeah, so um, uh, I've never been one big big for like the shout outs to sponsors or that kind of stuff, but but Craft have have, um, have taken me on, and um, you know that was a that was a really awesome sponsor um to uh you know they really really do look after me and um you know so you know big 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 thanks to them um and um yeah hoka i've been a hoka flyer for a while um which is awesome so it's just a, a we ambassador get a couple of free shoes um and yeah they their shoes are awesome so uh shout out to shout out to them um big shout out to my family and my wife like um you've talked about it. I've listened to quite a lot of your podcast guys and you always talk about family support and family units. And, um, you know, Stace has always been my biggest support. She, uh, very much, um, uh, help, you know, was the key to success for this challenge because, you know, she cooked stupid amounts of food for me. Um, you know, uh, looked after Henry when I couldn't and then, um, you know, kicked me out of the house when I came in on, on several occasions, um, kind of ready to throw the towel in. Um, and you know, she would basically do a quick debrief of like, right, well, are you injured? Can you still walk? Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> out you go, you know, and she, she was, she was pretty awesome, um, in that. And, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, huge thanks to to, to her, and then uh, many people who are, I mean, there was um, quite a few people who I rang during my my runs. Um, as a race director, Garfield Griffiths, who who I, I talked to a lot, uh, TJ, one of the construction managers, uh, Aaron Newell, a very good friend of mine. Um, you know, just talked shit for an hour or so as we were running, uh, which was great. And um, yeah, so um, you know, massive shout out to those guys for uh, keep keeping me going, and then all the other you know, people who really spurred me on, um, uh, I'll, I'll kind of touch on this a little bit, but, um, I signed the realization of like calling it the Hammond challenge and then realizing, Oh shit, I better finish. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, like, you don't want to do that. I was like, okay. I was like, okay. I really, I really need to buckle down and like work out how I'm going to get this done. So yeah, I think that was that, that was uh, <laughs> um, seeing how many people have also invested their time and effort into it as well. Uh, re- you know, really, really spurred me on. I don't want to spend too much time on this quick tangent as we're wrapping up here, but I've had a lot of questions on which Hoka shoes people want to buy. Like a ton of people are curious about the, what shoe did you do most of your, uh, your running in this last month and what are your favorites? Okay. So um, quickly, the beauty about Hoka is that um, one shoe will fit somebody. Um, but the thing is with that is that if one shoe fits you well, then another shoe probably won't because there are so many different types of Hoka shoes and so many different, um, uh, you know, within that, within that, Brett says, take speed, speed goats, for instance, the speed goat two is completely different from the speed goat four. A speed goat one is a hor- horrific shoe. Don't ever get it. But uh, a speed goat three is, you know, is, is awesome. Slightly wider toe box. So you have to really, um, sort of um try try it out to really know what you're getting um uh did i lose you guys i oh, don't no, got you um nope. so so the um the the hoka shoes itself is just like you know there, there is definitely one shoe out there for you in terms of what shoes i wore um i wore my speedgoat threes um my mafadis and um uh clifton ones um mm. Uh, the 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 twenty four the twenty fourteen version uh, very, uh, one of my best friends up up and glow sports so Brendan Matt Madigan who's also a massive shout out forgot about him um, he came and rode with me a, a couple of days to uh, to spur me on but he had an he had an old pair only had you know a couple of miles on them but uh, a pair of Clifton ones the twenty fourteen versions and uh, I ended up doing a lot of miles on them they were they were a fantastic shoe so yeah. Uh, they, they they did me well. Steve, you gave me that advice when I first got my first pair of Hoka's and I, I'd asked you about them and you said that exact thing. You Not everyone will love every shoe in Hoka, but everyone will find one shoe that's made for their foot. And you were right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Hoka guy now. I love them. Good. No, I remember doing um, running around with you in Palmerton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, doing some, some TV work and interviewing that. That was, that was great. So we were talking about that. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? A long it? time ago, mate. Yeah. A it's, whole different world of the sport back then. <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. So, I mean, like, I, I'd love to, lo- love to, you know, uh, chat more about, like, the whole world of Spartan, but I love hearing them on your podcast, too. So, uh, you know, your, your views and you know, um, especially how you think that the sport has developed and changed and if it's a good thing or a bad thing. And, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about um, if this, you know, the sustainability of, uh, of of Spartan. If uh, you know, if they should be doing, you know, loads of new obstacles or or keeping it as um, you know as steady as they have been. So yeah, love to hear that from you guys at some point in the podcast. I'll tell you what. After you break seventeen, you come back on the podcast and we'll we'll debate everything. <laughs> that, that'd be awesome. I I come with like a ton of questions for you guys. You know, <laughs> you uh, especially should. about the pro team as well. Yeah, storm um, up, break seventeen, and we'll do this again. All right, that's the next L. All right. All right. <laughs> Have a look. Out. You heard it here. Thanks for coming here on, we Steve. We appreciate having you. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks, Steve.